Alright, good afternoon everybody. Hello, my name is Tara Tarongo. I'm with the Van Adel Institute. Um, I don't know if anybody's in a lunch coma. I'm kind of in a granola bar coma. Sorry we got for lunch, so you might hear some of grumbling or coma, either one. So, um, thanks for coming today to talk about making time for science with project-based learning. So, I want to start by um, getting to know a little bit about who's here in the room and making sure um, I'm talking to you about things that you actually want to know about and that can help you. So I'm a firm believer that teacher time is sort of infinitely more valuable than regular people time. You know, if you've got two minutes, you can, as teachers, we can, you know, put our food in the microwave, go to the bathroom, answer a couple parent emails, probably on the bathroom, and then get back to time before the kids come back. So your time is valuable. I want to make sure that what you hear today is actually helpful. And so we can be really flexible in that. Um, if you're on Twitter, that's me, at Tara Tarongo. So, Feel free to um, follow me there. I try to offer lots of tips and tricks, at least um, on the daily, um, but also some giveaways sometimes, too. So let's find out who you guys are. You know it's a conference, and you know your teachers. I'm going to make you talk to each other. So turn to your neighbor. Just find out what is your name and what role um, do you play in your organization, and we'll get to the thumb question in a minute. Just what's your name and role? What do you do? Easy ones to start with. All right, my K2 friends. What about 3-5? All right, that's pretty even. 6-8? A few of you guys? 9-12? Okay, so mostly elementary, a few middle school. Perfect. I think we can address that. All right, now we're going to get to know each other a little bit more with my favorite little beach ball. So I'm going to throw it at you. I apologize if I hit you. I'm not a great thrower. Um, and whatever your left thumb is on is a question that I'd like for you to answer. All right, are we ready? I'm going to ask you. What is your favorite lesson to teach? Uh, wow. Um, two digit by two digit multiplication. <laughs> Nobody ever said that. Okay. Excellent. All right. Throw it back to someone else. Alright, one more. Okay, we'll go on the forward. This one, oh, come on. 
my favorite question on there is why is this topic important to you? Um, so I want to share with you why it's important to me, kind of why I started getting into project-based learning, why it matters to me. And the first one is I'm honestly in a war for their attention. Anybody feel like you're just trying to break through and there's so much going on in their head? So you could all fill your slide, your own slide like this, but this is in any given day, kindergarten through eighth grade for sure, even on up into high school, these are the kinds of things that are going on in your student's head at any given time. As I said, some of them, you could make your own slide. Some of them are super trivial. Some of them super not trivial, right? But they're all real. So when you feel like you're in a war for their attention, you are, right? You're competing against all this and much, much more. So the first thing is, I wanted to teach lessons that actually mattered, something that they actually cared about. I was the only one that cared about Texas history when I was teaching Texas history. Um, I wanted to teach something that everybody actually cared about, because I thought that's the only way I can actually break through all of that noise and more. So I wanted to teach lessons that matter. Next reason is this cartoon here explains it kind of nicely. I expect you all to be independent, innovative, critical thinkers who will do exactly as I say. So it's funny because it's kind of true, you know, and we were, as teachers, oftentimes we sort of fall back in what we were successful in. A lot of us were successful in a traditional school setting where that's exactly what we were asked to do, is what our teacher asked us to do, and we did it, you know, um, very obediently. And we all really want those innovative critical thinkers, but sometimes we can fall back into that trap. So my second reason this is important to me is I want to teach skills that actually matter. You know, we always hear that we're preparing students for jobs that don't even exist yet, right? We don't even know what they're going to be. So how do we do that? So my best thought is to look to the past and think about what are those skills that drove us forward as a society 100 years ago that are still relevant today. If they've lasted that amount of time, 100 years, then they're probably still going to be relevant 100 years from now. So I wanted to teach skills like perseverance, critical thinking, creative thinking. Right? Those are the things I want to be able to convey, to teach skills that actually matter. And then finally, I think as teachers, we're often very humble creatures, um, and we don't always like to admit it, but I do want to admit it. I want to say, I want to be the rock star in my classroom. I want to be that teacher that the kids go home and tell their parents about in a good way, or the parents are calling the principal about and saying, I want, to, you know, I want my child to be in her class or his class. It's okay to have that ambition and to want to be that teacher that stands out. So for me, those were kind of the pieces that really drew me to project-based learning. I wanted to teach content that actually mattered, I wanted to teach skills that actually mattered, and I wanted to matter to my kids, be something that they, someone that they remembered for years and years and years. So what we'll talk about today are what are authentic learning experiences, all right? How do we create these, what are they? And then I'm going to show you step-by-step step, two project examples, exactly what they looked like with our teachers when we did them lesson by lesson. And then give you kind of a framework to make one of your own. We probably won't have time for you to actually do it today, so I'll leave you with that as homework if you'd like to make your own um, authentic learning experience to do with your kids. Sound like you're in the right place? Okay. All right, you won't hurt my feelings if you have to go. I know you have a life. All right, and also, we'll talk about these projects. I'm going to give you everything that you need to be able to do them on your own if you'd like to. But if you want the work done for you and some of the resources to go with it, we have projects, so we're going to also have a raffle enter to win. So if you see little blue cards, hopefully you got these around. At the end, we'll take them up in this fancy little bucket, and we'll draw a winner, okay? All right, so first, when we're talking about making time for science, because as K-5 and even 6-8, sometimes you have to teach all these content areas. You're not just teaching science by itself, right? So oftentimes, you know, you've got those reading and math standards that you have to hit. What happens to science and social studies? They just fall by the wayside, right? 
So, and that's because so often we're ingrained to think about, huh, grain, I never put that together, anyway. <laughs> we're ingrained to think about our content areas as silos, right, as separate individual content areas. But I just want to illustrate something you already know, but sometimes it's sort of like, oh, yeah. So let's think about reading, for example. If you're teaching reading, um, what are some of the reading strategies that you're working on with your kids right now? Right, so what are some reading strategies? Understanding vocabulary. Okay. Vocabulary. Sight words. Summarizing. There you go. Character traits. Determining importance. Main idea. That's a long one. Work with me. Critical <laughs> ideas. Any idea what was that one? Vocabulary. Well, there's words they just would not understand. So you're going to have to have a word wall or something like that with the words that are science specific. Mm -hmm. But it's a similar skill the way they use them. Yeah. Any investigation like that, or any investigation, any of these other skills you could use? Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Here you go. How would you use cause and effect? Looking what happened when I did this. What was the effect? Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny to me because you, I do this, and inevitably, though, somehow we you know, teach cause and effect when we're teaching our reading block, and then we, you know, one and a half hours later, we're in science, and we're teaching cause and effect with science as if they've never heard of cause and effect, right? So I think if we don't think of these as silos, and we think of these as skills that are important, and how we can connect them across the content areas, not only do we save time, which is our most precious commodity, as we talked about earlier, but the knowledge is so much richer and deeper when they see cause and effect applied to not just language arts, but also science. So you could go on with all of these, right? They can compare and contrast. Obviously, you know, the, the um, Petri dish with the sanitizer, the Petri dish without the sanitizer. So all those things to make those comparisons um, really do save you time because you're not reteaching these skills over and over. So that's kind of the first um, way to look at when you think about how do I make time for science, really we have to stop, and I know it's hard because our day is structured that way, our curriculum is structured that way, but if we can step outside of that every now and again and try to do something like project-based learning, then we can think in a more cross-curricular way and save ourselves the time of not reteaching those skills over and over. All right, so let's think, what do we mean when we talk about project-based learning? Or another way to think about it is an authentic learning experience. So I'm gonna capture your ideas again. What do you think are the characteristics of what we would say is an authentic learning experience? 
real life application? Real life application, yeah. What else? Student choice and voice. What else is authentic learning experience characterized by? Real audiences. Real audience. Unfortunately, we don't count. Teachers <coughs> aren't considered real people sometimes. Yeah. You ever seen them in the grocery store? They're like, what? You shot What else? Application to the real world. Okay. Kind of like the real life application of the real world. Okay. Hands on material. Hands on. Yeah, they're busy. They're doing something, right? They're not just sitting there. Okay. Student engagement. 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 Yeah. It's like real content. I mean, science content. Yeah. So our content area, our content, uh, has to be there too, right? Our curricular content. Teamwork. Ah, yes. Teamwork. Good. I think like science practices that real scientists do, uh -huh. using the tools and. Uh, Yeah. I never end this really bad with this possible thing. Um, so this is the start of a list. I want to keep this up here because as I walk through some of the projects, I want to I want you to have that in front of you to think, am I seeing those things? Is that the right list? Do I want to add to it mentally in my own mind? Um, so we'll we'll come back to that in a minute, but it's definitely a good start of, of a list. Because it's good to just have that picture of what it looks like. Um, if you aren't, oh right, here's a good video I want to play. If it works, I'm gonna try sound was sort of um, funny, but we're going to try. I'm not sure if this video is going to work. What happens when teachers works. design projects that empower students? Kind of okay? Voice and choice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Students embrace the maker mindset. They define themselves as inventors and creators. They learn to take creative risks. Here they experiment and engage in iterative thinking. When this happens, they embrace the growth mindset and grow resilient. They become problem solvers and systems thinkers. They become divergent thinkers, thinking outside the box. They'll use creative constraint to find original uses for materials. Here they discover it's okay to be different. Often students embrace curiosity and wonder. They become explorers, seeking out new information and thinking critically. They grow more empathetic as they design meaningful products that they launch to the world. On an academic level, students are more engaged and the information sticks. There's often an increase in student achievement. Meanwhile, they learn skills like project management, collaboration, and communication. True, these projects will prepare students for the creative economy, but more importantly, they empower students for a creative life. Here they see that making is magic. We know that there's a time crunch in schools. Materials can be scarce. Sometimes you're stuck with a tight curriculum map, but when you, as a teacher, empower your students with voice and choice, they become the makers 
who changed the world. So I think that's just a video that encapsulates the very things that you guys had mentioned yourselves. Um, John Spencer is a great resource as well for looking at um, project-based learning ideas and how you can implement that. So I encourage you to check him out. It's a fun little video. Sorry the sound is so poor. Thanks for being nice and quiet. Um, another resource to look at when you're thinking about what is an authentic learning experience is the Buck Institute, or they kind of recoin themselves, PBL Works. How many of you are familiar with the Buck Institute? Okay, great. Um, so they came up with these eight, I believe it is, um, characteristics of authentic learning experiences, or true project-based learning. And the main thing that they emphasize is differentiating what they call dessert projects. So if you do, you know, a unit, and at the end you have, let's say you did a unit on nutrition. At the end you have the students make chef hats, right? Because that would be a lot of fun. And, you know, it's just sort of a fun thing to do. That's, a, that's not a project-based learning. That's what they would call a dessert project. So to be project-based learning, you've got to have sustained inquiry. It's got to take place over an amount of time, right? Scientists don't go in in one hour figure out what they need to um, figure out. In fact, they spend decades, right, trying to research different concepts. So we want to have sustained inquiry. Authenticity was brought up, right? There's some sort of real-life application. Student voice and choice was mentioned there directly. Um, reflection. I think this is one of the key pieces that is often forgotten, and I know it's because of time. Um, but that's one of the things that's really important is after every lesson with our students, we have them complete a reflection journal. And I think of it no different than when I go on vacation. If I don't log on Facebook everything I did that day, I've, it's like it never happened. I forget about it. But that, just that time at the end of the day to reflect on what did I do? And I put those, it helps me synthesize it, summarize it, again, one of our reading strategies. Um, so that reflection is where the learning actually really gels for them. So reflection being a key piece of an authentic project as well. Critique and revision, making sure that's that time to fix things up, to have that design thinking or iterative thinking, where they learn that you have to come back at something over and over again. Public product, that was one somebody mentioned, a real audience. So that these projects are presented to people in the public who actually have those jobs or have an um, interest in that particular topic. Um, and I should have started with, it starts with a challenging problem or question. And the key learning, what, what do they have to know, understand, or be able to do is at the center of all that. So this was really, I think, a nice way to think about what are those characteristics of um, project-based learning. But for me, it was lacking a little bit in terms of how do we now make that happen. Right, those are great if I can you know, just look at something and evaluate does it have that or not, but how do I make that happen? So we sort of synthesized that a little bit and said, all right, if we're thinking about doing something, there's three questions that we want to answer. The first is, how are we going to emotionally engage these students? Is this project something that's going to be meaningful to them? Is something that's going to affect their community, affect their loved ones, affect themselves? Next is, what are they going to do to be actively engaged? Someone mentioned hands-on, right? So what are they going to actually do and then finally, they've got to be cognitively engaged. What do they actually learn? So I thought those three questions were ways to start thinking about, if I want to do a project, those are the first three questions I ask. What are they going to, how are they going to be emotionally attached to it? What are they going to do? What are they going to learn? And then we sort of put a little bit of a framework to that. So we call it Blue Apple. We're basically looking at teachers who want to stand out, right? Remember those teachers who want to be the rock star of their classroom. So if you want to stand out, if you want to have a project-based learning um, experience with your students, so we kind of identified this pathway. So start with why. That's going to make sure you have that emotional connection. Why is this important? Think it through as a place for them to really get the information they need in order to um, do the project. And then they work it out. They do the project. Fix it up is just a way to formally have that iterative step in there where they kind of go back and revise their work. 
Um, and these aren't quite as linear as they might look, right? And when you're fixing it up, you might realize you need to think something through a little bit more and work it out again. So you can go back and forth. But finally, you share your awesome with a real audience, with not just the teacher, but someone who actually cares about that particular subject. So that's kind of the framework you'll see as we go through the projects that I'm going to show you that, that these each went through. All right. And if you want research behind it, a lot of this stuff is fairly intuitive, but <coughs> as we called through the Buck Institute, um, as well as some sites on Edutopia, some different things that are out there, this is what we came up with. This is the top five reasons to do project-based learning. Number one, increases the long-term retention of content, right? We do need them to understand our content. So it's not just about doing something engaging, but actually having a common context that's meaningful so that that content sticks. Improves problem-solving and collaboration skills. Remember that con those skills that actually matter? Improve students' attitudes toward learning. If they feel like they're making the world a better place somehow, and they feel like learning is a part of doing that, what a great association for us to give them at an early age. Prepare students for deeper learning, higher level thinking skills, and those intra and interpersonal skills. And it really can work in all different types of settings. We've seen it with, sometimes I think it gets sort of a, a bad rap that it's only for sort of affluent schools. Um, but actually, remember that chart earlier of all the stuff that's going on in their head? If you have kids who are worrying about, am I going to eat dinner tonight? How are you going to break through if it's not to say, let's actually do something meaningful. Let's make the world a better place together. All right. You ready to look at an actual project? Okay. This first one is called Food for Thought. Our compelling question for this one is, um, can a cookbook save your life? I should start with the way these projects came to be is we kind of scoured, well, at least the interwebs for teachers who were doing amazing projects like this. I call them Ellen-worthy projects. So let's find those teachers who are doing something that if Ellen heard about them, she would want them on their show. And so then we talked to those teachers, we worked with them, and then we sort of put them into a common format to make them accessible to everybody to help, um, help do that. So we've had several teachers do them since, and this is sort of a compilation of that. So we always started with sort of a compelling, almost room sign. In this case, it was when given the choice, which would you choose? Your fate is in your hands. So just kind of put that, you know, this is for fourth grade. This is aligned to fourth grade standards. It can flex easily, I would say, probably second through eighth. Um, but, you know, can you imagine fourth graders? Fate is on our hands, right? So here's kind of that path that I talked about. Start with why, think it through, work it out, fix it up, and share your awesome. So you can see this is consisted of eight lessons in this particular kind of iteration. I'll walk you through each one. So for the start with why, Lesson one, in this case, we wanted to really drive home why is nutrition important for our students. So we had a game called Your Heart or Mine, and you're going to play it. So did everybody get a little um, shape, colored shape as you came in? Everybody got one of those? Anybody missing one? Anyone? All right. So with kids, I would have them talk with their neighbor and think, well, what could that shape possibly represent? They come up with all kinds of crazy stuff. I let you think, girl. I let you. Fate is in your own hands. All right. Okay, so they talk about it. They figure out what, they, what it might mean. Um, but then, as a teacher, we reveal to them what the colors and shapes actually mean. So are you ready? Raise your hand if you have a red triangle. All right, you, my friends, you're so glad you came today. You represent the one in four people who will die of heart disease. I'm so sorry to tell you. Okay, what about black circle? Black circles. Oh, we got a lot of those. You represent, i got to go back and forth with the glasses. One in five will die of cancer. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> How about a gold star? It feels like it shouldn't be a gold star. That feels too positive. You represent the one in six who will have high cholesterol. How about a yellow diamond? 
So it's one of you. One in ten will develop diabetes. Oh, two. Okay. How about a purple pentagon? All right. One in twenty will die of stroke. How about green tri uh, green square? All right. You, my friends, are safe. <laughs> okay. I told you it's a demerit. All right. You, you did not choose wisely, my friend. So this is really to show you that games don't have to be high-tech. You don't have to use a lot of fancy equipment or expensive devices, right? Just a simple game like this. You can imagine fourth graders when half the class dies of heart disease. It was like, oh, my God, you know? Um, so it's a fun way, not so fun way, I don't know, it's a little twisted way to bring home the relevance, right? That this is actually your food choices represent what can happen to you and your own mortality and the mortality of those that you love. So it's a little game we play to talk about why it matters. Um, the other thing to know about Blue Apple is it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. There's a lot of humor in it. Um, so again, if you want to be that teacher that stands out, this is one of the we dare use we have in there. So as they learn about how dangerous food can be, they get really riled up. You know, these fourth graders are really, they want to do something about it. So we encourage you as a teacher to bring in a bag of flaming Hot Cheetos and have all the kids come up and stomp it and you know, rage against how this is killing all of our friends and family. So just kind of fun things like that built in to get the kids' attention. So then we move on to what can we do about it? Let's learn a little bit more. Let's think it through. Um, so we talk about sort of food this lesson. We have a healthy track. So non-healthy and healthy on one side. They bring in food from home and they sort it on this track and they negotiate. I think this one's more healthy than that one. I'm not sure. Um, we also then give them a variety of different resources. So sometimes as teachers, you just don't have time to go find all the rich resources that are out there on the web. So we've sort of found one of the five or six best sites out there for your kids to learn about nutrition. So they learn what, what makes one food healthy and another food not so healthy and in between. In the next lesson, they talked about GMOs. And so they looked at um, an article with kind of pro and con on GMOs. And then what was really cool about this is we found a toxicologist who was willing to read the same article and share her thoughts on it. So it's a nice way to see, you know, professionals actually do this too. They look at articles and they discuss them and they analyze them and they talk about their different viewpoints. Um, we try to bring in literature whenever we can, so this is a great way to bring in a picture book, Gregory the Terrible Eater, which is a great one to bring in this particular lesson. This guy's not a fan of GMOs, clearly. All right, then they go on to work a little bit more with nutrition, looking at how to read nutrition labels. So again, provided um, some videos on how to do that and some kind of, um, you know, nutrition labels for them to work with and kind of practice all different kinds of skills there as they learn how to read nutrition labels. And then they really think about, well, what can we do about it? Now that we know what um, makes something nutritious and not, and we know how to read different labels, how can we actually make a difference in our community and our families? And so they kind of come together and say, we need to write our own recipes and let's create a cookbook that we're then going to sell, and proceeds will go to Healthy Kids USA, or Action for Healthy Kids, I think it was. Anyway, so we show them um, what a recipes look like, what are the different nonfiction text features in a recipe, and then they get to writing their recipes, and then they chef it up. So they have a chance to, and again, remember I talked about making the chef hat, right? If you're doing it at the end of a project, it's just this dessert project. But in the middle of this sustained inquiry, here they're making a, a chef hat to personalize this recipe that they've created, and that they're going to share and learn about um, as part of this project. So they, um, they make their creations to test them out, see how they work. In the next uh, lesson, they had a Top Chef competition. So what um, we encouraged them to bring a nutritionist in. So some of our um, teachers who have done this have actually brought nutritionists into the room. Other ones had, uh, we have the contact information for some nutritionists, so they had that person Skype in. Um, and the kids have different colored star, star stickers, and they would give 
you know, maybe they each get six stickers and three are for taste and three are for nutrition. So they use that as a formative assessment. So the kids kind of learn, you know, why is this one getting more stars than that one? What can I do to change my recipe to get more stars? So they have their top chef competition. Hopefully you can bring in a nutritionist to, to help with that. They make their revisions and then they finally have a friends and family feast day where they, um, you know, bring in all their friends and family to share in their recipes. And that's also where they publish, um, they publish their cookbook and they sell it. And um, they donated proceeds to different sort of charities around nutrition for healthy kids. So that was the way that project particularly worked. So I think, you know, it's easy to see, you know, some of these ideas, right? But what about, um, well, let's actually start with that. What are some ways that you saw authentic learning experience in that project? Any examples that you saw? Either from this list or as more that we talked about? Oh, well, it's definitely real life. starting with, I need to teach this, how can I make it interesting? Start with, what if I start with something my kids actually care about? I bet you can connect whatever you need to teach to it. So let's give it a try. With this particular one, uh, English language arts, I think I mentioned this one, you could talk about writing explanatory texts, right? You could also do an opinion writing, right? There's all sorts of things you could do. Social studies, with that GMO piece, we could do the role of science and technology in, um, in our society. With math, anytime you're working with um, recipes, there's fractions galore, there's all sorts of stuff. So this particular one did a equivalent fractions. For science, this was a great place to jump off and think about what's happening in our brains as we are tasting and seeing and smelling this food. Let's talk about the senses and sensory information. And we actually looked at social emotional learning as a content area and said, can we provide many lessons around some of these social emotional um, castle standards, if you're familiar with those, to actually prepare students in that way as well as the content. So those are some. Let's look at, so we're talking about making time for science in particular. Let's look at just some other ways. So sometimes you've got to get a little creative. Um, I know these are real hard to read, so I'm going to read them to you. Um, so what about in Lesson 7 here, you could do data analysis. Students collect and analyze data to identify areas of weakness and modify their recipes accordingly. So you, as they're doing that stickers, you know, and that formative assessment, they're analyzing data as they're doing that. Comparing multiple solutions, another science standard. They can work iteratively, making several attempts at their recipe, right? Um, and they design that process, that uh, process must be repeated and refined. So that iterative process, that fix it up stay, step, gets right at um, comparing multiple solutions. And constraints, right? So obviously you could put lots of different constraints on this, another science standard. So just look at what your experience is, take a look at your standards, and you can usually find ways to, to match those up. All right, your turn. Talk to your neighbor. What content do you have to teach that you could possibly connect to a project like this? 
Is there something that's coming up for you that you need to teach? Or what other, that's something you need to teach. What other content areas could you connect to this? Talk to your neighbor. Someone also recently said AP geography. I was like, AP geography? What are you going to do with that? And they talked about you could actually do foods from different countries, right? right? Was that yours? Sorry, I stole it. I stole it. Here you go now. <laughs> Ready? Oh, I'm to. Yeah. You could also relate it to physical education and think of how long you have to walk or run to turn off a bag of Absolutely. And you could hook up with your phys ed teacher, maybe, right? And so once you get to think in this way, you can really connect almost anything you need to teach to an authentic project. So I'm going to show you one more. I'm going to check my time. Okay. So, and this is a way to show, even if it's not a science-based project, right, this is more of a social studies-based project, but you can still connect tons of science to it. I'll show you how that works. So I'll go a little bit quicker through this one now that you've seen the process. So this one was called Moments to Remember. And the um, compelling question here was, how can we make a memory live forever? So the, the um, door sign for this one was, capture a life story before it slips away. Again, a little dark. Both of these are a little dark. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, we have our moments. All right, so here's how this one happened to break out over nine lessons. I'll show you what they look like. Um, this one started by actually having the kids just try to answer that question, right? How can we make a memory live on forever? Um, this kid has my favorite answer here. You could relive the moment. And to do that, you need a time machine 
with evil bunnies and robots that will help you, and their names are Yama and Konecha. Okay? <laughs> so, um, but in addition to that, you could um, make a video. You could write about it, right? So they're thinking about how can we make a memory live on forever. We're starting to teach them about empathy, aging, and compassion. And we want to do that because they are going to partner up with a senior citizen friend and write a biography of their life. So we start by um, introducing it with a picture book, which I always like to do, even at high school. I love reading picture books to kids. They love it. Um, so we kind of introduce these concepts both with literature and um, with having them just think about this question a little bit. Next, we had um, a couple of experts come into the classroom. So we have a video from an expert. She works at a retirement center. So she talked about what that aging process is like, some things to expect. We also had a history, history professor from a local college come in and talk about what are some of the significant events over the last 60, 70 years, because those are the events that would have really formed these people's lives. And from that, they could then craft some really intelligent and thoughtful interview questions so that when they met their senior friends, they're thinking about, you know, where were you when JFK was shot, when MLK was shot, those sort of things. So then they met their senior friend. And you'll see the little beach ball on there. So this um, little strategy we used with the with the um, students as they met their senior friends as a way to kind of break the ice, a way for them to kind of get to know each other with simple, easy questions, and then they went on to ask those more in-depth interview questions. Um, so I think I have a video. Hopefully the sound is good enough, so we'll try to listen in for it, because um, it really brings to life what this looked like when the um, kids first met their senior friends. And I have to tell you, this is the one I was the most afraid of. I was like, these kids are going to go in there, they're not going to be able to hear, and they're going to be rude to them. <laughs> like, what's going to go on? But I was so pleasantly surprised, and I think you'll see that in the video. That's pretty good. about we want to be that teacher that the kids remember. They'll remember that. And what about the senior citizens? I mean, they'll remember that. I mean, what a treat for them. Um, so the lesson went on after they did that. They kept this relationship going. They talked about the, you know, the importance and what the meaning of handwritten letters is. We kind of showed them some stuff on that, and they wrote some pen pal letters back and forth. This was also a way for them to answer any questions they didn't get answered as they prepared for their biography. Because, you know, I want to add this, but I'm not sure what they would say about this. They could go back and forth 
and we just worked with the, um, the, you know, the coordinator at the retirement center. They are more than happy to do this. They want to do these sorts of things for their seniors. So they would help us get these into the right hands. Then they look at, all right, I have to write this biography. Let's explore the genre of biography. So looked at a couple of mentor texts. We um, did some videos on what are the elements of biography, what are the elements of biography that I like, what are things I don't like in biographies. And then this was really critical, is we challenged them to use theme to structure the biology, the biology, the biography. Um, instead of just a chronological, you know, first, next, then. And some of them we actually kind of went back to that. But for most of them, we tried to challenge them to think, what is the theme of this person's life? Is it overcoming obstacles or love of family? What really made this person's life meaningful? And that was a way to think, and theme is one of your ELA standards in almost every grade level, right? So they structure their biography, and they write their biography um, of their senior friend. They revise it. They go back and forth, again, using our, our um, coordinator at the center. They have checklists to edit their biography. And then we give them a video here. My hair is a little shorter. But how to um, actually turn this into a beautiful heirloom book with just some construction paper and some washi tape. Um, so to make it look like something that's worthy of this life that it's capturing. So then they shared their story with them. They presented their published heirloom. Um, I also want to touch on one of the things we like to try to do, if you have a chance, is to connect with someone else doing the same project. So in this case, there were two groups doing the same project, and they did a book club. So they swapped. Imagine if you wrote you know, this biography of your senior friend in Michigan, and you shared it with the biography um, of a senior friend of some other class in Texas. How might their lives looked, have looked different over the last 10 years? How might the theme of their lives have been different? So some great opportunities for collaboration there. All right, so you see plenty of examples of the authentic learning experiences. I want to make sure you have time to see how to make your own, so we won't um, explore that too much. But let's talk about content. I talked about ELA, right? We talked about theme. Um, we look at theme with that first story and then look at theme in their biography. Social studies was pretty easy with this one. It's slightly different eras, that particular standard. For math, looking at number sense and fractions. So what we did here was take the senior citizen's life as a timeline and say what was happening at a third of their life, at two-thirds of their life, that sort of thing. Um, and here you sometimes have to get creative, right? So I'm thinking, how do I fit science into this? So for this one, we actually paired the students with senior friends who had the same birth month as they did. So when they met them, they also then got to learn that the night sky was actually the same, even though they were born 60-some-odd years apart. Right? So you can talk about patterns of the night sky. If you're both thrown in January, it the same. Social-emotional learning was pretty easy to, to weave into this one. Um, but again, let's look at other ways. So sometimes you can just use this as a jumping off point to talk about all kinds of science. What about, you know, we did the, um, the ball here. Let's talk about physical science and inflating the ball, right? You could do stuff around that. You could talk about protecting Earth's resources. Think about the environment, how it's changed from the time that they were born to when these kids were born. And what do we need to do to protect our, our environment? This is kind of a fun one. We could, um, after presenting seniors with their biographies, consider keeping the connection between students and seniors by growing and sharing plants. Students have grown as gifts. So use that opportunity to teach students that plants get most of the, what they need from air and water. So a fourth grade standard, you've got to meet there, but just by keeping up that connection. So again, you've got to be a little bit creative, but thinking about the authentic experience first and then saying, how can I connect my content to it so that it's richer and deeper and you're not having to introduce it each time. It's all part of this common context. All right, one more time, talk to each other. What else, what could you teach um, related to a project like this? What's content that you need to teach that you can connect to moments to remember? Talk to your friend.
And so this was just a brainstorming list. We didn't actually end up going with them. We went with the toxicologists, right? But just a way to get started in thinking about that. And think about what are the ways to bring your students to the world, right? Maybe you could bring in local doctors or nurses to um, the family feast day. Um, maybe Schuler's Books is a local bookstore for us. What's your local bookstore? Maybe they would house the cookbook there. Maybe they would sell it there. Um, and online publishing. There's all sorts of online publishing tools. So thinking about what are the real-world connections I can bring to my students and how can I connect my students to those authentic audiences. And then you think about standards. Okay, now I know I need to teach content. And you don't have to teach all four and, and the social-emotional learning, right? This, was, this is your gold standard. But let's say you just want to focus on two um, different content areas. You can do that. But think about what are the content standards that I want to address. Or you can do multiple. We saw we looked at five different science ones for each of these, right? So maybe you just want to jump off and have this be your entire year's curriculum and connect all of them to it. You could do that. And then finally thinking about collaboration options. Um, what are things like swapping the recipe books with class, another class? What are things I could do with some, another class to really expand um, the influence that my kids are getting beyond just my own classroom? So this little graphic organizer is just a tool if you are inclined to create your own project. I encourage you to use that as just a way to organize your thoughts and get started. On the back, then, is sort of the next step, which is where you work through each of those five parts of that process, and there's kind of guiding questions. So take that and use it if you'd like, or bring us out to your school, and we'll do it with you. Um, so those are here. I'll give you just a brief synopsis of the other projects, just so you can have a sense of what they are and see if there's something you're interested in. Prevent the spread, I kind of alluded to that earlier, where kids go around and swab their and they look at um, testing whatever their hand soap is in their school um, to other hand soaps out there and how um, effective they are at preventing the spread of germs. They swab the petri dishes, they let them grow over a week and then look at that, all sorts of fun, um, looking at area of uh, irregular shapes as you draw out the shape of bacteria, stuff like that for math. But anyway, they end up writing a public service announcement or maybe it's a, it could be a poster, it could be a podcast, it could be all sorts of things. And then they pitch to the school, you know, we need to change this hand sanitizer because this one's better. Or they write a congratulations to the school, you know, you're, you picked the best hand sanitizer, it's the one that's the most effective. So they're able to um, do these public service announcements to help prevent the spread of germs. High energy is kind of a similar concept, they do an energy audit first of their home and their own energy usage, and then of the school. They go around count LED bulbs versus non-LED bulbs. How many windows are um, left a little bit ajar? And so then they learn the cost of all this, and they calculate, if we made these changes, how much would it save us in energy and in cost? And they pitch their administrators on making some of these changes to improve their energy footprint at their school. Um, Linda Hand uses the website kiva.org, um, which is a website where folks around the world who need just a small amount of money to a small loan to make a big difference in their community. Maybe they need to buy a little bit of fabric, and they can make dresses, and they can sustain their family. So they pick one of these and, they, um, and they, they raise money and fund it. 50 years of interest, they learn about compound interest, both the, um, the bad part of that in terms of debt, but also the good part of that in terms of investing, what that can do. And then, so these fourth and fifth graders end up teaching the high schoolers a lesson on what they learned about compound interest, those kids that are about to go out and get credit card applications. Talk about food for thought moments to remember what's in your water, you're sampling your water, seeing what's in it, um, and then end up doing a fundraiser to um, to raise money for healthy uh, water quality issues. Dirty Truth is all about looking at, um, should we be exploring Mars and how, how we can live on Mars, or should we be looking to sustain our planets? They kind of join Team Red or Team Blue, and they end up creating a commercial on what they've learned 
you know, if we were going to grow radishes in Martian regolith or Martian soil, what other nutrients do we need? What do we need to sustain life on Mars versus what do we need to do to protect Earth? So they have this kind of com competition in commercials. State of sustainability is looking at your state's own sustainability practices and the UN sustainability practices, and they end up creating a book about their state. What, you know, will our state be able to be here 100 years from now? And last one, Take a Stand, is all about kids taking a stand on issues that they're passionate about and learning how to debate respectfully, and they end up making a podcast that they publish um, taking a stand on certain issues. So this is a very brief overview. Um, so if we had more time, I'd give you a chance to actually think about one of these projects and fill out your, um, your storyboard there. But that's essentially how it's nice to sort of take one of those ten ideas or take an, an idea of your own, think about those three questions. How will your idea engage students emotionally? What will students do? And what will students learn? Um, so very quickly, I just want to give you a couple of the other things people always ask is, how does this work, right? Because in every group, you have this, right? The one that does all the work. You know, there's that one. Disappear at the very beginning, doesn't show up again to the very end, right? People get all those in our groups, right? So managing these groups and that cooperative learning is certainly something. So we would talk more about this if we have more time, but essentially, um, I would encourage you to, just some quick tips and tricks, to have teacher-formed groups. I know sometimes we want that student voice and choice. I'm all about student voice and choice, but in this case, you want to actually group these people um, purposefully. So you want a variety of skills. You want them to be able to negotiate based on what are the roles. Who's going to be the interviewer with the students, with the senior friend? Who's going to be the illustrator or the editor? Those sorts of things. Um, talk about norms in your classroom. Create norms with your students through modeling, right? So they know how to listen to one another, how to um, take turns in those groups, and how, what their jobs are. So I've seen this where, where, like, there was one where they're creating a play, and the kids actually interview to be the director of the play. You know, if you were interested in being that. So you also learn disappointment. Some kids get it, some kids don't. And I wouldn't shy away from doing that, saying, here are the roles that we need for this project. Why do you want to do it? Why do you think you're the best person for it? Um, routines, so using the morning meetings, using restorative circles, um, the kind of see, see, think, wonder, chalk talks, all those are ways to sort of get folks talking um, and communicating through this process. And, of course, have some, some plans for self-management. Because you don't want to be, you want each of these kids to have voice and choice in their groups, but you don't want to be having to manage all those different things happening in all those different groups. So make sure you instill in them um, what, are, what are your expectations, and they have their goals very clear for them so they can sort of self-manage um, against those rubrics or against those expectations. All right, so any questions as I pull in? If you are interested in a project, put your um, blue tags in here, and we'll draw for a winner. Any questions while I put these in? Tara, yes. um, I, I did the high energy one. Okay. My students ended up making, um, it was about yeah, energy use in school, and they did an audit, and they met with the janitor who gave them a lot of the information. Because they know more than most people. And he talked about the light bulbs and what he could do. And then the kids made recommendations to the board about which bulbs to buy, because the janitor always received the bulbs, he didn't order the bulbs. So, they went in and made a little video that they gave to the board. It was kind of, they took, they took it seriously and then watched to see if it was changed. It was really interesting. So that yeah, was a really good project. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. How long did it take you? How long did you spend on that project? Um, three weeks. Three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I probably could have spent more. I just didn't have the time. Yeah. 
And we've had some people have kind of done it all within one week. You know, so each of these um, lessons every single day, some have done it spread out over 10 weeks. So you just do it every Monday, we're doing it. So, so yeah. yeah, so there's flexibility. The hardest part was editing the video and all that kind of thing, which we did out of school time. But, yeah. <laughs> but it still was a really good Excellent, excellent. Make sure. Um, yeah, all right. One more. Are you ready? No. I'm going to make somebody else do it. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate it.